We need an authentic revival yeah. where the power of God shatters the division that's that's in our nation. Yeah. And as long as the church continues to play catch up, my view of my 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 ecclesiology tells me my my theology of the church. We we are in the world to be the portrait of the desired destination at which the culture needs to mm. arrive. Mm. And until we embrace that and pastors and leaders begin to preach that and model that, we will we will we will always be playing catch up, answering questions nobody's asking anymore. Yo, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to Four in the Morning. This is John O. I'm your host, and I just want to start off and remind you that every new morning begins in the dark, y'all. This is a podcast about hope. The state of your soul does not have to reflect the state of your surroundings. Regardless of what your life looks like today or right now, you have a reason to hope. So here's how I want to frame this conversation. Uh, I want to start off and give you a mental picture. So just close your eyes if you can, right? If you're driving, don't close your eyes. But if you can, and if you're at a place where you can close your eyes, close them. All right, here's the mental picture. Imagine the thermostat in your house says 55 degrees. You would likely respond the way that I tend to respond to my wife uh, who likes to keep things real frigid at our crib, right? You would say something to the effect of, yo, it's it's freezing in here. And you would be right in your assessment, right? Your bad mood, your anger, you're wanting to give her the cold shoulder because you feel like your shoulder is going to be frostbitten at any time. All of those things are justified because it is actually cold in the house, right? Now, imagine the temperature is the same in the house, but it's below zero outside. And your grandpa walks into the front door and he says, man, I had to come inside to warm up. Now the temperature inside is still the same. He just experiences it differently because of where he's been, right? He's been in freezing weather and the current climate in the house is something that brings him hope and warmth where it brings you frustration and sadness. He's right in his assessment. Both of y'all are right. One of the things that we find out is this, uh, our assessment about the present is really largely shaped by our past, where we've been. I think too often we can tend to think that present change in our circumstances is the only antidote for present cynicism. Uh, we tend to feel like I won't be hopeful until things change, but that that's no way to live right? Uh, generations of people that have undergone heartache who came and went in the midst of hard times without seeing any change, they lived and hear this, unfortunate circumstances are a tragedy, but to live life hopeless is not some unavoidable consequence of being plopped into a place where you have uh, bad circumstances surrounding you. There's another way to be hopeful in the midst of unfortunate circumstances. And that comes by this one word, connectedness, right? That's what I learned from my conversation with uh, Crawford Loritz this week. Um, 
you know, one of the most valuable gifts that grandparents can give you is perspective, right? A close second are those little strawberry candies that have the wrapper, right, that's red that actually looks like a strawberry and you bite into it and it's got that feeling, right? Y'all know what I mean. Y'all don't act like y'all don't know and still love those candies, although nobody knows what the names of them are. Um, anyways, right, uh, the greatest gift that they can give you that supersedes those strawberry candies is perspective, they helped to provide perspective on what life was like in their day. Uh, and in so doing, they really help you to see your days with new eyes, with fresh eyes, with hopeful eyes. Um, I don't have many grandparents still living, uh, just my maternal grandma. Um, and I've loved them all and I'm grateful for the stories that they gave me. Um, they all grew and spent most of their lives in Nigeria, a country that didn't experience its freedom and independence from Britain until 1961, right? So they have stories and I've been shaped by the global perspective that they passed down on to me. Uh, but one of the reasons why I'm particularly grateful for my conversation with Crawford today is he's kind of served as a surrogate uh, grandpa who experienced life here in the States and he helped to bring perspective to some of the frustration and cynicism that I feel about things that are starting to go on now and what uh, really has become the largest protest and civil rights movement of my lifetime. And Crawford came in like that grandpa from out of the cold saying, yo, John, I just had to come in here to warm up. And I said, warm up? It's freezing in here, right? Uh, Crawford through the year, he's been that grandpa for so many of us. Uh, he's been that for me. We've had talks uh, over the course of the past 10 years about the highs and lows of adoption, serving as uh, the sole minorities in predominantly white organizations. We've talked to life, we've talked about faith, ministry, purpose, calling. Uh, he's somebody that's been through a lot and still has this profound sense of hopefulness, right? Cynicism should have crushed him a long time ago, but it hasn't. He's a pastor, a father, a preacher, a grandfather in the faith for so many of us. Um, and we spent time today and we talked about his background, cynicism, uh, and hope. And so I'm excited to drop y'all into this conversation. But before we go there, two quick caveats that I've got to provide. And the very first one is this. Uh, my faith is the most important thing about me. And the reason why I bring that up is because uh, I would wager that a bunch of y'all on this podcast know me primarily as a pastor, right? So this first one, it really isn't um, for you, right? You know me because you're a part of my church. You saw me speak somewhere. You read a book that I wrote. Um, there's others of y'all that know me through coffee, right? You know me because I'm an entrepreneur and you were introduced to Portrait Coffee and in a roundabout way, a few clicks here and there, and you found yourself on this podcast. There's some of y'all that know me through personal interactions. There's some of y'all uh, that know me through uh, my insightful NBA analysis on Twitter. Everybody's inroad is different. Uh, but I just bring this up to say this. All right. My faith is the most important thing about me. But if you want to hear me preach about my faith, there's a separate podcast where you can find uh, 
sermons that I've preached for the past five years. That's not what this space here is for. I'm going to spend time and on this podcast, I'm going to talk to a lot of people with a lot of different perspectives and faith backgrounds because I think everybody has something good to offer. Uh, but I do just want to lead out and say my faith does shape how I see the world. But uh, my faith is rooted in a persecuted Middle Eastern man who died an unjust death and got up from the grave proving that he actually was God and that his offer for forgiveness of sins was legit. So what that means for me is that uh, I may feel hopeless at times, but according to my faith, I never actually am hopeless, right? You can't really be hopeless when your faith isn't just based off of good ideologies, but your faith is based off of somebody actually getting up from the dead, which is uh, the most hopeless place in the universe. So that's what it means for me. Here's what it means for you. Um, this is not a bait and switch. You do not have to share my faith background in order to benefit from this podcast. I just want this to be a space where, uh, yeah, people can learn to hope. So that's the first caveat. Caveat two um, is this. I've edited out a lot of my own commentary from the conversation. I'm basically going to be Crawford's hype man. Uh, through the whole thing. So you're going to hear a lot of me saying, yeah, mm, that's good. Can you say that again? Mm, take that, take that, right? It's really just going to be my ad libs because when your grandpa talks, you let him talk because he drops gems. And that's why this convo may feel different than previous ones. Um, so one of the things that I will do is throughout the course of the week, Crawford had so much good stuff and I wish I could pack it all in here, but I couldn't. So throughout the rest of the week, I'm going to drop a couple of snooze episodes that uh, have just these short, quick hitters that Crawford drops. So um, I'll upload those through the week so that y'all can be helped by them. So that's all I've got. We're getting ready to jump into this thing. My hope is that you leave more hopeful than when you came in. Uh, yeah. So enjoy this conversation that I have with Crawford about connectedness as the antidote to cynicism. All right. Peace. Yeah, well, you know, <clears throat> I was born and raised in uh, Newark, New Jersey. Uh, for the first 12 years of my life, then our family moved to Plainfield, New Jersey. And uh, hey, when was this? So I'm not trying to date yeah, you, yeah. but what, <laughs> what year? I was born February 11th, 1950, man. There, Do the math. There, I'm 70. There we go. <laughs> yeah, and uh, great parents, man, a long line of, um, you know, especially on my dad's side of uh, strong um black male role models, man. And it's just, it's really a blessing. And my uh, parents were both followers of Jesus. And uh, I grew up, uh, this is interesting. Uh, you need to talk about sovereign foundations. I grew up in a uh, uh, multi-ethnic working class community in Newark, New Jersey. And see that, that's, uh, that's, that wasn't all that uncommon in the Northeast. Uh, wasn't, wasn't all that uncommon. So that meant that, you know, uh, I, I, I played ball with uh, and, and went to school with Gerald Adams and Lloyd Cotton and Dwayne Rainey and these guys, as well as Rocco Bonavicia, and, 
you know, and uh, the Philobacchus family and this kind of thing. And so, you know, I had these streams in my life in which um, I had close friends who were both black and white. Now, you know, of course, we went to Trinity AME Zion Church, which was an African-American church on the corner of uh, Wilsey and Warren Street there, about a block and a half from the apartment building. And, uh, and I knew who I was, you know, in, in, in our household. Um, I knew the stories of our background and my great-grandfather who, uh, who had been a slave. Pete, his name was Peter. And uh, So great-great-grandfather. Yeah, yeah. So it's just this interesting story. It's not my great-great-grandfather, my great-grandfather. My father was the youngest boy of 14 kids, and he was born February the uh, 13th, 1914. And so... It was his grandfather. Wow. And uh, my father, my father remembered him. Uh, Peter lived to be an old man. And uh, yeah. but he was uh, not literate. Uh, as a, You know, the stories uh, I've heard he used to. But he loved the Lord Jesus. And he would rock back and forth on a uh, front porch of the old homestead and sing, sing hymns and yeah. and uh, uh, just love the scriptures, even though he couldn't read or write. He. Uh, as the stories go, he, that he used to make his children and grandchildren read him familiar passages of scripture over and over again until he got it, you know? Wow. <laughs> it's just, Sorry. yeah, just putting it into perspective like that is for me to talk to you to not relay what's in a history book, but these are the things that my dad told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it hasn't been that long. No, it hasn't been that long at all. I mean, you know, people forget. I mean, we have short memories that, uh, you know, uh, racism, Jim Crow, and all the all the continuation stuff from uh, slavery and all of that. I mean, that's that's recent, right? Right. When you talk about you know just uh, anthropological development of people. That's just recent history, and of course, it impacts us. Yeah. And, uh, so, Man. but that's how I grew up. You know, just. Yeah. Um, Knowing who I was, I, the greatest gift that my parents gave me, and it wasn't just me, was a strong sense of identity, man. Mm. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I didn't struggle as, as a teenager and everybody else does, but just a strong sense of knowing who you are, where you came from, yeah. a sense of rootedness, and that no matter what anybody called you out there, when you came home behind those doors, you knew they would affirm you and help you to understand who you really were. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh. All right, so you grew up in Newark, New Jersey, yeah, 1950. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I was reading, uh, I'm reading this one book, Cast, now by Isabella Wilkerson, who, uh -huh. who wrote uh, The Warmth of Other Sons. Yes, I read that. That's great yeah. book. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. in this book, Cast, she says, um, in the South, it, it was uh, Jim Crow, but in the North, it was James Crow. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, what were things like in Newark, New Jersey, as you yeah, grew up yeah, right. in the fifties and sixties? That's right. Even though, even though I said it was a multi-ethnic community and all of that, I mean, it, it wasn't. It, it wasn't heaven. Right, right. <laughs> you yeah. still knew who who you were, and uh, and as I, you know, uh, there's a story. Um, my my dad played baseball on the old Negro leagues, and I, I was a pretty good little ball player. So <laughs> when I was about about eleven, twelve years old. Uh, my dad pulled me aside. I was going to be trying out for this team uh, up at the boys club there. And, right. and so he pulled me aside and said, now my childhood nickname was CW. He said, all right, CW, you know that there's, there's, there's going to be a lot of these white kids on this team. And right. when you try out for this team, you know that you're going to have to be twice as good. Mm. 
And, uh, you know, my father next to Jesus has had the greatest impact on my life. And so when he said that to me, that burned in me. And uh, I, 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 I internalized that message and, and carried it with me all the way through, uh, you know, school and college and even into my late 20s. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't, I, I'll come back to this in a second, it wasn't a healthy thing, by the way. Mm. So, so, you know, you experience, you experience racism and all yeah. of that stuff. Um, uh, but, you know, that, that's just, just the reality. Yeah. Just the reality of, uh, of, 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 of a fallen world. Uh, my wife grew up in Philadelphia, and Philadelphia was probably one of the most racially segmented cities in the Northeast. Right. I mean, you know, you, you didn't go on the east side of Broad, Broad Street there. That was uh, predominantly white, and you, you, didn't, you didn't get caught there in the middle class Italian community down in South Philly. And, and uh, northeast section of Philadelphia was Jewish. And, of course, North Philadelphia was, was black folks. And, and uh, there's just unwritten stuff. And so, of course, all the redlining and all of that stuff was very obvious. Right, yeah. yeah. I was 18 years old when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in, uh, in 1968, and uh, I, re you know, vividly remember the civil rights movement. My parents, uh, they were they were filled with joy uh, uh, and excitement that that uh, you know finally they were moving and voices were being heard and right. you know enough is enough and, and this kind of thing. And so I, I remember vividly. Um, just how I felt during that time, and of course, that was a, that was a time of black consciousness and and, and uh, dashikis and afros, and you know yeah. and that's the reason why I'm bald right now. Too many <laughs> too many picks. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was a time of great consciousness back then, and and progress has been made. Let's we got to step back. Progress has been made. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, uh, so he, he, the difference between, you know, the difference between then and now, there's a lot of differences. But back then, um, the evangelical branch of, of, of the church, the white church, was deafeningly silent. Mm. Deafeningly silent. It was horrible. Mm. And, uh, and I remember I went to a Christian college and, and, and uh, you know, hardly anything, the, 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 most of the stuff that was said about Martin Luther King Jr. was either there was nothing to be said, it acted as if these things are just a blip on the screen or whatever, or or what was said was criticism about his life, his morality, or about, you know, he's a communist, or there was just a whole lot of negative things said. And I think- So, so at that time, while it's like, this is the guy saying- yeah. Can we drink out of the same water yeah, fountains yeah, yeah, that what the yeah. church is saying is? Yeah. Wow. yeah. They they gravitated toward uh, you know, the the extremes, those who were those who were hijacking the movement and saying, see, you know, like whether it was the Black Panther Party or whatever. Right. And you see, this is, you know, they're stirring things up and this kind of thing. And so they gravitated toward the negative side, which actually is happening now, to be honest with you. I'll right. yeah. that in a second. And and 
they they uh, now when I say they, I I, I don't mean all white evangelicals. Right, there right, there right. were the exceptions and this kind of thing. But by and large, here's the point. God was giving us a moment in history. I happen to believe we missed an opportunity in which we we could have seen one of the greatest spiritual awakenings ever. Mm. Uh, uh, but because of uh, being handcuffed, uh, you know, our white siblings, as my son would say, yeah. uh, were handcuffed uh, by by uh, not wanting to be labeled uh, a liberal. And uh, so they said absolutely nothing or or wanting to be affirmed by their constituency. Yeah. They, they lobbed a few critical grenades at the movement. Wow. And uh, and we miss an incredible opportunity to offer hope and speak to the power of the gospel and to link arms with a right issue. Mm. And uh, and so. You know, you look back over that, there was incredible impact and change that took place. Don't get me right. wrong. I mean, there's, a, you know, the influence and all of that. And we just celebrated and, and commemorated John uh, Lewis's life and what, what he did and accomplished and, and all of that. So there was accomplishments made. And I say this, you know, uh, the path to progress is not a straight line. I think uh, as, mm. as uh, Barack Obama famously uh, says, it's not a straight line. Right. And, and so there's 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 it's it's sort of like uh, zigzag a bit. But if you chart it, there's been incredible progress made. Right. Incredible progress. Now, the difference, I think, between then and now, um, you know, one of there, there's so many positive things. Uh, there are more Christian voices now. Mm. There are more Christian voices now. And I think some of my younger brethren, I have to, have to remind them of that. They're saying, how come how come there are not more white folks and, and leaders saying more stuff? I, and I say to them, yeah, you should have been back in the 60s. If you <laughs> right, think they're right. silent now. I mean, wow. so, there, so you do have you do have voices now. Yeah. Uh, I'm grateful for voices like, uh, you know, J.D. Greer uh, with the right. uh, President Southern Baptist Convention. I'm grateful mm you know, for Tim Keller. And I'm grateful for others who are saying, hold, hold up, man. No, this, no, right. no, this is yeah. wrong. Right. Uh, the, the, the gospel does have justice implications and we, right. we, and, and we need to speak up. And so I'm, 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 I'm absolutely grateful for that. However, right. uh, um, I actually, I actually believe that one of the things that I'm fearful of now is that this movement is a little bit leaderless. Mm. At least back in the 60s, uh, you, had, you had the strength of King and the Southern Leadership uh, Christian uh, Council there. You had, the, you had the strength of that movement. You, yeah. you had visibility, and they defined the banks of the river, and they defined uh, where things were going, and there was a clear-cut agenda. Yeah. Well, today, right now, um, the nature of what what's happening is, and, and and you know, we're reacting to, and we should react to to the violence that has taken place in these these lives. But we're 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 because there's not that kind of uh, visible leadership. Yeah. This is this is feeling a little bit. It's feeling a little bit swampish, and and the and the protests and the demonstrations are easily hijacked. Because right. of the lack of clarity mm. about where, where things need to be. Yeah. However, I also think that this is an opportunity for Christians to step into that. Right. Yeah. To give some clarity, to give some direction, yeah. to give some leadership. 
And so, yeah. so to me, that's the major difference between between the two. Yeah. The major difference between the two. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, getting back to um, where we need to be, I, I just, I actually think that, uh, that this is an opportunity to step into this vacuum, to challenge one another and to say, hey, look, you know, God's given you a platform, God's placed, yeah. I mean, you, you're placed where you are, that's wonderful, but let's leverage all of that to help everybody to be, to be better. Right, right. Now, now here's the point. As followers of Jesus, uh, this is where our theology has to reign supreme. Mm. It has to reign supreme. I am more concerned about the devil getting involved with 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 quote Bible believing church uh, Christians than I am with 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 unbelievers who are part of this movement. Right, right. That my my the thing that gives me a heart heartburn is that. We're allowing the enemy to pick us off and, and, and we're turning our, our, our armor on one another and we're mm. making C minus issues uh, or secondary secondary issues, primary passions, mm. which and then we're forgetting we're forgetting why we're here. Right. And so anybody that that is committed to justice and and, uh, you know, committed to to talking about these issues. Uh, out of fear, we 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 hurled the pejorative. Well, you must be a critical race theorist, right, and right. Uh, we 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 begin to cannibalize, cannibalize things. Now, to be sure, we have to be careful of these things. There's some things about critical race theory and all of this stuff that right. I think are not they're not anchored in the gospel, and that's absolutely right. But we spend so much time uh, diverting ourselves into these issues uh-huh. that we we we're not, we're not speaking to what God is concerned about. Right. And that is that the that the conceived must live, the living must be cared for, and the poor and the press must be defended. By the way, mm. that that's pro-life. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> All of that's pro-life. Yeah. And so so my yeah, brother, can you say those three things one more time? Yeah, I think that they're the the I think theologically and biblically. Yeah. When you talk about justice in the Bible and the role of believers. And when you talk about that and you're, you're capturing the heart of God, these three propositions, these are the three channels in which all of, of justice must be directed. The conceived must live. Right. Okay. Number two, the living must be cared for. Mm. And number three, the poor and the oppressed must be defended. Yeah. I, call it whatever you want to call it. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. But if you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, yeah. that is the heart of God for all of humanity. Right. Yeah. And so I can't I can't cherry pick the issues. Yeah. So if I am pro-life, then of necessity, I have to be pro-justice. Right. If mm. I'm not pro-justice, then I then, you know, the, I'm, I'm just pro-birth. Right. Mm. And That's- so, you know. This is this this lack of comprehensive thinking of allowing yeah. our theology to inform how we think and feel has caused us to once again be be be, be re-entrenched and pulled away from these things when when really the culture is looking, is there is there a word from God about the pain that people are feeling?
Now, now don't, don't get me wrong. I'm on a soapbox here, but don't get me wrong. The gospel is the gospel. Right. Jesus Christ is the everlasting son of God. He came, he died on the cross in our place and for our sin, rose again on the third day. I will die for that message. Right. And nothing is to clutter that message. That is the hope of people's transformation and change. Right. But there are also social implications of that gospel. And if you right. don't like the word social, let's use relational righteousness <laughs> right, the, right. or implications. Yeah. There are implications of that message that we are required, mm. if we're required to demonstrate. Yeah. Matthew chapter 25 tells us that, hey, look, uh, Jesus says in that great day, you, you say, Lord, Lord, you do. So he, he said, well, I don't know you. What do you mean you don't know me? Well, you didn't visit me in prison. You didn't feed me when I was poor. I'm just going to come to see me when I was sick. This kind of thing. Well, well Lord, when, when do we see that? He said, well, you didn't do the least of these. Mm. And then he cast them out and out of darkness. Right. Now, that gives you, that might give you theological heartburn, that, that text. Right. But but what Jesus is saying there is that, hey, look, no, no, no. Uh, social justice is not necessary. Caring for people is not necessary to yeah. be saved. However, it is an evidence that you are saved. Mm. And James tells us that faith without works is dead. Right. And so if you don't care about the fallen condition of people around you, Right. And you don't care about the injustices that have been committed toward them, then maybe your walk and relationship with God is inauthentic. Mm. And it's not the real thing. So I got into that because I, I think I'm getting a little weary and tired of, of, of all of these uh, uh, sidebar pontificating and discrediting right. of, of, of people who are involved and wanting to alleviate the pain and suffering of folks and standing up and saying in the name of Jesus, you know, certain things are wrong and we need to be involved. And they keep scurrying away and denying the existence of racism. And by the way, holding up their Bibles while they do it. So you saw the uptick in involvement and care for, you know, our kinsmen according to the flesh mm -hmm. in the 60s. And then things got better. And then it seems like there's been a collective apathy or sleepwalking to the point where there's reinvigorated passion for all of those issues. How have you, as somebody that, yeah, I mean, if if uh, these past years have been peaks and valleys, mm -hmm. how have you dealt with those peaks and valleys? Or what what well, is the best way for us to make sure that this moment doesn't pass and we get lulled back to sleep? Wow, that's a great question, John. Um, I, I think I think we have to continue. I think we have to continue to to talk about it and continue to elevate. Um, elevate the horrible, horrible right. uh, nature of disenfranchising people mm. and uh, the horrible, horrible nature 
of, of demeaning people. And I think yeah. that needs to be the center of conversation. Right, right, that, right. And, and so, you know, we, and, but, but, you know, in one sense, in one sense, uh, uh, the ability to talk about these issues um, um, was, was more inviting or, 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 or clearer back in the 60s and early 70s than it is right now. Mm. Um, why? Why? It, well, I think I think the reason for that was that just the historical nature of of everything that was taking place, yeah, the culmination of it all, uh, yeah. and so you you had to make a decision. Right. Um, you know, you were seeing thousands of protesters, and you know the the, the television back then was. Uh, I mean, we've been oversaturated with the media right now, but right. The, the, the great blessing to the civil rights movement was TV. Yeah. And and for the you know, for the first time back in the 50s and early 60s, you start seeing uh, people, uh, protesters being pinned to the ground with fire hoses and right. dogs taking chunks out of people and and mm. these kinds of things. And I think the shock value. Right. The shock value of all of that. Now, we've lived with these visuals over these last 50, 60, 70 years now. We've we, we've lived with these visuals. And I think there's a bit of there's a bit of uh, compassion fatigue. That has right. set in. And plus, on top of that, I think what has happened uh, after the 60s is the res- uh, uh, sort of a, uh, a surge in hyper uh, hyper individualism yeah. that has gripped all of us. And so in a, in a very real sense, as much as we talk about social consciousness, there's not been a whole lot of social consciousness. It's, it's been all about me navigating my future and mm-hmm. this kind of thing. And so the when you had Jim Crow and you had all these things, the black community had to be, had to care about one right. another. Yeah. We had no other place to go. Right. We had to be concerned about one another. Now when some of us make it and things have been decentralized in the development of the black middle class and all of these yeah. other things, I I think there's been a lulling of, of uh, to sleep. And I think the, the visual integration of things has caused us to have a false sense of uh, of of sort of advancement and right. you know this kind of thing. Yeah. And so, when you when you see Ahmaud Arbery being chased down by, by vigilantes or George Floyd his knee on his neck for eight minutes forty six seconds and this kind of you go whoa ho 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 wait a minute yeah and I think that has shocked us, but I think that that's that's probably. The difference between there was more meaningful conversations about race, mm. interestingly enough, in the late sixties and early seventies than there have been than there has been prior to what's taken place in these last couple of years. But but I think you know the 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 covers being pulled off, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe your great hope is that uh, the nature of the conversation shifts from you know name calling and arguing to recapturing some of the meaningful conversations about the issues of injustice and not just about unity, right? Yeah, or, and yes, yes. And or, I mean, yeah, I, 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 you, you said it well, but there's one piece though that I, I don't think that our country has really dealt with deeply enough uh, a profound sense of repentance that needs to take place. Mm. And until we stop being so defensive about right. our history, mm. 
and stop saying, well, no, that wasn't me. Well, that, no, it, it may not have been you. And, and certainly, you know, uh, my theology tells me I can't repent for what somebody else did. However, right. however, don't go too far. Uh-huh. Don't go too far. <laughs> right. I can profoundly identify and feel the sense of culpability uh-huh. that someone connected to me has done. Mm. And if you read the Old Testament, it said, Lord, we have sinned, uh, Ezra right. and Nehemiah and Daniel and all of these. And I think uh, the lack of, of empathy. Uh, and so I think I think uh, what needs to take place right now, uh, more than ever before, is is stop defending and start weeping with one another. Yeah. And start identifying with one another. But you mm. see, here's here's the point again. Yeah. The only people who can do that right. with profound authenticity are yeah. followers of Jesus. Mm. Are followers yeah. of Jesus. But we can't be the ones who with our heads in the sand and running away from it or minimizing it. Right. And, and acting as if racism doesn't exist. So just everybody right. comes to Jesus and there's no more racism. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, right. we know that ain't, well, everybody come to Jesus and nobody lies. No, that Paul wrote the Christians and told them, y'all stop lying. Right, right, so, right. You know, I mean, that's, that's sort of a silly, I mean, the, the yeah. power of the cross, yeah. If I surrender to it and yield to it. Right. So, But that's a lifelong, that's yeah. a lifelong struggle. So are you hopeful? I am. I'm okay. profoundly hopeful. Yeah. Uh, having said all of that, <laughs> right, right, you right. know, truth and hope are not, you know, they're not contradictions. Mm. They're not contradictions. Hope without truth is denial. Mm. Hope without truth is denial. But I am profoundly hopeful. Yeah. I am seeing, you know, I'm seeing young, I, and th- this younger crowd, I'm a cheerleader for them, Jack. I <laughs> right. love them. Right. I love them, man. Yeah. I mean, you dudes, you know, 40 yeah. and younger, Right. you guys are my peeps. Man. <laughs> oh, man, I, I just, love it. I mean, just what you're doing right now, John. Yeah. This is great. And, yeah. and, and I was on a, a podcast with uh, Susan Robinson the other yeah. day. Yeah. And what she's, I, I think what, what's happening right now is that I don't think there's any turning back. Right. Mm. I don't think there's any turning back. Yeah. And I actually think that God is raising up a, an, an amazing movement of people. Now they're getting pushed back in this kind of thing, but every movement gets pushed back. Right. So I I am I am very, I am very, very hopeful. Yeah. You know, I pastor a church that is multi-ethnic, and I just look at some of the white folks in our church, uh, particularly in that younger crowd. Yeah. Hey, you know, they're saying, you know, in the name of Jesus, this is wrong. Yeah. Mm. This is wrong. And we've got to change. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, we ain't in heaven yet. We're fallen creatures and we're going to keep zigzagging our way. And uh, but I I am very hopeful. Well, I think more than anything else, though, and I. um, We we need an outpouring of the spirit of God Mm. on us and. we need an authentic revival yeah. where the power of God shatters the division that's that's in our nation. Yeah. And as long as the church continues to play catch up, my view of my 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 ecclesiology tells me my my theology of the church 
we we are in the world to be the portrait of the desired destination at which the culture needs to mm. arrive. Mm. And until we embrace that and pastors and leaders begin to preach that and model that, we will will always be playing catch up, answering questions nobody's asking anymore. Uh, There is a prophetic role that we're to have. So, yeah, but I'm hopeful. Yeah. All right. So last thing, one word that you would give to keep up that hope. Yeah, I think connectedness is the term I would use. That would Mm. be the word. you, you need to connect with who came before you, right? where you are, yeah. and where God needs to take you. Ah. That gives you context, connectedness and context. The other word that I would use, though, and, and I, I think you need to hear me on this. The other word that I would use is uh, intentional godliness. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you have to lift your sights above and remember, remember who's sitting on his throne. Right. And where does the power come from? If you don't, you're going to get angry and bitter and reactionary, upset, or you're just going to get, you're just going to get apathetic. Yeah. Weary and say, I'm done with it. But our strength comes from him. Yeah. And so remember that. So. All right. Oh, that's excellent. Thanks for the time, Carl. Oh, thank you, John. I love it. All right, that's it. That's all I got for the time today. As I said, once again, um, be on the lookout at the end of the week just for other parts of the conversation um, that are just going to be quick hitters for you to take through the day to inspire you to uh, hope more and to be confident to be the person that God made you to be. So as always, remember, every new day begins in the dark. Uh, You don't have to be hopeless. You can live life full of hope regardless of what your life looks like uh, now. So if you're hopeful, uh, do your boy a favor, like, subscribe, uh, comment, all of those things. All right. See you all later on this week. Peace.